You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a show that discusses internal and relational anxiety, how it blocks effective leadership, and how we can move through it to a greater health. And now your host, Steve Cuss. Hey, everyone. Welcome to a new episode. Hey, uh, this podcast primarily has me interviewing guests, people that I find interesting or people who are experts in the topic of leadership anxiety. But once in a while, I invite my producer, Brendan Reed, on the show, and we have a dialogue about the content of my upcoming book, Managing Leadership Anxiety. And the reason we're doing that is we didn't want to wait until April when the book comes out to offer some helpful tools for people. We're really committed to our listeners to trying to give you a couple of tools that you can implement in your life right away. And so, I don't know, every three or four episodes or so, it'll be me and Brendan, and we'll be getting into some details about ways that you can name and move through internal and external pressures that you face as a leader. So Steve, one of the uh, big chapters in your book, and I think it's the third one, is called Sources of Internal Anxiety. And in that chapter, you list, I don't know how many different tools or yeah. different different areas of internal anxiety that can be found. Yeah. Can you talk about that for a minute or two? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, it's managing leadership anxiety, yours and theirs. And so that chapter really starts to focus on yours. Like if a leader can figure out not only when they're anxious, but if they can then take the next step and really get to the bottom of what's making me anxious, like a form of diagnosis. So instead of just saying, oh, I'm sick, that you can say, oh, I've got strep throat. Oh, okay. Right, and once you can diagnose why you're sick, you can actually treat it. And I, I think anxiety is the same. I think before you uh, diagnose it, you just feel like overwhelmed. Yep. But if you can name the source of it, then that really allows you to start to actually overcome it and go from being managed by anxiety to managing it. Mm-hmm. So that's really the point of the of that chapter. And the chapter is not exhaustive. I'm not claiming to name every source of anxiety. I'm mm-hmm. actually hoping. I think I have maybe a dozen or 15 sources in there. Okay. I was just hoping, man, if I name some of them in my own life, that would really help people start to get the figure out on what's causing their own anxiety. No, that's right. Um, one of the ones that I did want to kind of talk about today, because I think um, some people might not suffer from this, but I would say, and I could be wrong, the vast majority of people make mistakes. Yeah. And one of the um, headlines that you have in sources of internal anxiety is recovering from making mistakes. Right. And I think so often in our culture that we, we try to perfect what we're doing that when somebody makes a mistake and I think social media has played into this a little bit, when somebody makes a mistake, it's, it, it's almost like we tar and feather them in a sense. Right. And so how, how as a leader, you know, what, what do you do with that when you make a mistake? Like, how do you manage that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, recovering from a mistake is one of the big sources of anxiety, I think. And I think the reason is, is because uh, leadership is ultimately vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're putting yourself out there, which means that all your mistakes are public. Uh, everyone gets to see them. And I think what happens is, is uh, I guess we should clarify, when we're talking about mistakes, we're not talking about the whopper mistakes that end you up in jail or uh, really put you on the sidelines of leadership. Where it's you a go. moral, no morals. Yeah, we're not talking that level of, of moral mistake. We're talking about well-meaning mistakes where you even had a good heart in it maybe, but you were just wrong. Uh, but we are talking about significant mistakes. Like I'm, in my life, I'm talking about mistakes that cost my organization money and time mm. and that that caused good people stress or maybe even hurt good people. 
Uh, and wh- I think what happens in a leader is you make these mistakes. We all do it. But if you're not able to manage your own anxiety, you're not going to put yourself out there again. So the way you recover from a mistake, I think, is a really important sign of health. So how do you how do you manage that anxiety? What's the first step in that process? Yeah. So I, I think the first step is you just pause and you try to think back on a mistake you made. Okay. So I'll share one of mine. Okay. Uh, <laughs> when I first came to Discovery, as a young pastor, I'd never been a lead pastor before. And the church met in a elementary cafetorium. Oh, yum. Yeah, and we're since taught church planters uh, that a cafetorium, it's equal parts cafeteria and auditorium. This is just for fun. And anytime cafeteria and something else, it's only ever a cafeteria. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was a rough, <laughs> it was a pretty rough environment to try to grow a church, and it was in the back of a neighborhood. But our church had property, we had land, and we were actively trying to build a building. Mm-hmm. And I was naive. I had no understanding of how difficult it is to go from owning dirt to owning a building. Politically, financially, all of it. And very early on at the church, I declared on a Sunday morning that we would be in a building of our own in 18 months. And all of the old timers in the church, by old timers, I mean they'd been around the block. They just thought that was the funniest thing. And I was completely wrong. It took us about eight years. Mm. We almost lost our land. We almost closed as a church. Like moving from owning dirt to owning a building was one of the most difficult things we ever did. Wow. And I was naive. I just, I meant well, but I, I didn't know. And to this day, some of the folks that have been around Discovery still bring that up with me. Mm-hmm. They get quite a bit of enjoyment out of reminding me of this Hassling. stupid thing I said. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, I was wrong. It was naive. It I was a mistake. But I, I think if, if I get defensive or if I try to fight them, or oftentimes what happens when you make a mistake is you want to hide or blame. Okay. And, and like if I start blaming people, uh, what I'm doing is I, I'm, I'm protecting myself from getting hurt again. But I think all leadership's vulnerability. So I think a leader's ability to make a public mistake, to own it, to not get defensive, to not shrink it and say, oh, it wasn't that bad, uh, to look it right in the eye, to apologize to the people that it affected, I think that's vital to then being a healthy leader and getting out there again. Because in my former leadership, I make a lot of mistakes. It's it's one yeah, of the ways I lead. I think, in fact, there's a little part that I underline in your book that says, I make a lot of them, and I make sure my team does as well. I create a culture that rewards mistakes. That's right. Which sounds kind of crazy, I think, to people probably outside. Yeah. That you, re- you tell people, go ahead and do this, and when you screw up, then that's part of your learning process. That's right, yeah, and you've probably had that experience working at the church yep, yourself. I have indeed. Yeah, we actually punish people if they don't make enough mistakes. Which sounds backwards, I'm sure it, it does. It does, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I mean, it, I'm a church leader, so not all of our listeners are in church leadership, but one of the, um, one of the strongest currencies we use as leaders is faith. We don't have enough money, we don't have enough people, but we have faith, and there is always a gap between what we can do and what God is calling us to do. Mm. And I think the only way I know to walk by faith is to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. So I've certainly had many times in my 13 years at this church where I really believe God has called us down a road, down a direction, and it's led to a brick wall. Mm -hmm. Like it's just led to a closed door. And I don't know what the percentages are. I'm not even that interested in, okay, how many times out of 10 
Do we get yeah. it right? Yeah. I just know that if we're going to live by faith, we're going to miss here once in a while. And that's going to cost our organization money and people and time. But if I don't acknowledge it and admit it and recover from it, I'm going to stop walking by faith. And, and then and just to clarify, done. too, you're not saying go out and purposely make mistakes. No. You're saying try things yeah. if you feel like that's what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And if you make a mistake, that's okay. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, particularly for a, a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a perfectionist-minded person will tend to preempt their decision by being worried about it before they make the decision. They'll kind of hedge their bets. Mm-hmm. I'm the opposite. I tend to fly a bit too much by the seat of my pants. Mm-hmm. It's just my style of leadership, which means I'm going to make more mistakes publicly than the average leader, I yeah. think. But no, that's right. I'm not saying go out and be reckless. Although <laughs> I will say uh, I have had some staff where I've pulled them into my office. I learned this from a friend of mine um, who's a local pastor. And I will tell them, okay, you have two weeks to make a big mistake. <laughs> because I can see the way they're leading. They're not, they're not walking by faith. They're, they're so concerned about getting it right that I think they're actually hindering our organization. I think our organization has more capacity and more potential than they believe because they're afraid of making a mistake. So my kind of personality, we recover from a mistake afterwards. But there's definitely listeners right now listening and saying, well, I'm smarter than Steve because I do all the work beforehand. I would say to you, <laughs> you're playing it too safe. Mm-hmm. You maybe actually should go out and make a mistake and see the sun's going to rise the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite ways of making uh, recovering from a mistake is blaming God, actually. Really? Yeah. I've taken great pleasure in blaming God in the sense of uh, I'll, I'll often think to myself, man, oh man, if, if, if someone smarter or with more experience than me was here, they would get it right. Mm-hmm. And then my next thought is, well, that's God's fault because he called me here. So yeah. God needs to move me out of the way <laughs> if he wants someone smarter and, and more wise than me. But I, I don't know how to grow in wisdom without mistakes. Mm. And mistakes are painful and public mistakes are really painful because people take cheap shots. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, had, I've made mistakes at our church that have been group mistakes, but yeah. because I'm the leader, I get the most blame. It's yep. the price of doing business. Yep. And and if I'm not able to manage my own triggers and idols and my need to be liked and impressive and all of that stuff, which we get to in the book, uh, I'm going to stop leading. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just yeah. become a manager mm-hmm. and I'll shrink our church down to a manageable size. Yep. And then I think that's the path of death. Yep. And, I, and I think too, the, the hardest, I don't know if necessarily, I think for me it might be the hardest, but the hardest part about managing any source of internal anxiety, even mistakes themselves, is you have to kind of train yourself to notice them before you can even start the process of healing from them or yeah. um, working towards fixing that issue. Yeah. Do you think that's right? Or? I do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd, I'll share a couple of my internal triggers. I'd love to hear a couple of yours. Yeah. Uh, when I make a public mistake, it puts tremendous pressure on my need to be impressive. Mm-hmm. I just, it's not healthy. But I, one of the shadow sides of my leadership is I always want to look impressive. Mm-hmm. And so I have to manage that. Boy, when I make a mistake, uh, the temptation for me to shrink it or minimize it or blame um, is really high because I want to look impressive. And, of course, I was joking before yeah. about blaming God. That's different. Yeah. That's just kind of resting. Uh, I'm being facetious on purpose. Blaming God is a, is a tool I use to rest 
in the reality that I'm a human being and God has put me here. Um, but the need to be impressive is one of the things that gets really pressured. And I, I think the need to be smart. Yeah. You know, and that's the one that I have problems with is yeah. if I'm, a, I like to be the smartest person in the room. Yeah. And so when I, when that doesn't get, when that doesn't happen or if I state something that's a wrong fact and I get called out on it, I t- turtle shell in a sense and I, uh, when somebody calls me out on it, I'll try to brush it off like nothing really happened. I'll make some excuse, and then right. I, I, then I'll say sorry. But that sorry is like a half felt sorry. Right. And I've learned I, um, I've only been married for almost six months now, <laughs> and I've learned that part of the process of admitting that I was wrong is just saying it. Just say right off the bat, "Hey, I was wrong." Yeah. And not try to make those excuses that you're talking about and which I normally do in a lot of those situations. Yeah. And it's taken me a long time to get to where I'm at in that and being able to just say, Hey, I was wrong. Yeah. And I don't get it right. hundred percent of the time. Right. And you and I actually happen to be both fairly dominant personalities yes. on the, if people are familiar with the disc profile, uh-huh. we're both high D's. You're way higher D than yeah. I am even. hundred percent. Yeah. You're like a 94 <laughs> or something. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. So that means people with our kind of personality, we're generally going to like bulldoze our way through life and that really does cause carnage Mm -hmm. and then people who are not high d's they tend to judge people like us and say well you're bulldozing yeah i think we would tend to say well that's the way things move forward Mm -hmm. we all need each other but talk to me a little bit about what it's like to have a dominant certain personality and be wrong it's the worst (laughs) (laughs) i it's it's really hard and i and i think it wasn't until the last, really, I've gotten most of my life, you know, with with not admitting I was wrong. Yeah. And it's it, like a form of protection. Oh, absolutely. So, right? It's, it's I think, fear of being found out that maybe I'm false in something that I've said, yeah. that I'm not as smart as I, as I say that I am or yeah. that I appear as I am. Imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome, yeah. yeah. And, uh, that somebody's going to find me out. And then my immediate reaction in the past, and sometimes I still do it, is to cover it up as quick as I can yeah. to demonize the other person um, and to make sure that they feel stupid in a sense. Oh, you punish them. I punish them. Yeah. And I can't do that with my wife. Right. <laughs> right. And I, and I keep bringing her up because that's been the, I think the biggest learning linker for me is yeah. learning how to just to say with my bulldozing personality, just to back off and stop being a bulldozer and just to, be kind and loving and say, Hey, I was a mistake. I made yeah. a mistake. I'm yeah. sorry. And I, I think coming from my personality type and your personality type, when we do that, I think that it has, there's a lot more weight behind us apologizing um, and empowering that person when we say we're sorry for a mistake that we've made. Yeah. I, the other thing I've learned, and this, this took me longer to learn than I care to admit, in my early mistakes, people definitely like to rub my nose in it. Mm hmm. And at first I thought they were like being vindictive or mean, but then I learned, oh, it's because of my personality. Mm-hmm. I, I sound very confident when I speak, even if I'm not confident. I, it's like I hide my insecurity with certainty. Uh-huh. Anyway, I come across like this bulldozer and people definitely like to take a shot at a bulldozer. Right? I think like, you've actually shared a story about this with a car. With a car. Yeah, with a, a Ferrari or something like that. 
Yeah, oh, you have to say more. I don't remember. Uh, you had a boss or something where you. Yes, you it was a Porsche. Yep. yep. Oh, that's it was right. a Porsche. Oh, yep. My bad. Oh, that's a great story. My first job out of high school because I knew I was going into ministry and I needed to work to save money to go uh-huh. to Bible college. So I worked for almost four years just selling and stuff in Australia. My first boss, um, he pulled me aside and he took great pleasure in in proving me wrong. And I was and I was young, I was seventeen, right? I wasn't self aware. But I was always so caught off guard by how heated he was when he corrected mm-hmm. me. And he was my boss, he had every right. And so I, I remember, yeah, we were talking about Porsches and um in my family we're all motorheads and we're very proud of mo- being motorheads. And if you're a cuss, you're always right. It is one yeah. of the curses in our family <laughs> that I've really had to wrestle with. We're just we're very certain about ourselves. And uh, and so we got into a debate, and it sounds stupid now to say it, but about uh, whether Porsche made a V8 engine. Yeah. And I'm like, of course they don't. They're all air-cooled sixes. Mm-hmm. Like every Porsche is a six, and there's the occasional four-cylinder, <laughs> but they're all six. And I'm just so sure. I'm, and I'm doing a, I'm a very quick thinker, so I'm doing this quick mental history of Porsches in my head. Yeah. And I know there's no V8. There's no eight-cylinder. And the next morning, Wayne came in, and he's like, aha, the Porsche 928. <laughs> and as soon as he said it, I knew I was wrong. What'd like, you do? Like nine two eight. Of course, it's a it's an eight cylinder. How did I? And then I feel like an idiot. Yeah. I go into shame. Right. How? Do, how did? How is it that like Wayne knows? No one knows more about cars than cusses. Like it was yeah. just puzzling, right? But what really um, was the most surprising is how thrilled he was to show me I was wrong. Mm-hmm. So over the years at church, like the way I preach. Um, I'll often be off the cuff and I'll mm-hmm. say something more certain than I mean it. Mm-hmm. And people quite enjoy bringing up certain things that I said that I then have to retract. The best thing for my own leadership health and the best thing for our church is to repent of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've been around Discovery long enough. I'll get up on a Sunday yeah. and I'll say, hey, I've changed my mind. Or I'll even say, I came across a little stronger than I really felt. And and I, people have wisely showed me, and now now I feel this, yep. and and I, I think you know it's it's mine to mitigate that, but that's just the shadow side of my gifting, which is entrepreneurial and nimble. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm generally able to get us unstuck. We don't tend to stay stuck very long yeah. as a church when we have problems, and those are all my gifts. And then all of this stuff we're talking about now is the shadow of my gift, and if I eliminate the shadow, I'll eliminate the gift. Yeah. So I just, as a leader, I just have to kind of live with it and people around me have to live with it. And and what I've learned is the people around me who don't operate this way can tend to move into self-righteousness as if they're better than me. Yeah. And I definitely have to coach them gently to say, hey, you're on the sidelines pointing out all my errors. Mm-hmm. That's okay. But that is kind of the cheap seats. Mm-hmm. I'm in the front lines, like taking the hits. And, uh, you know, maybe you can speak to this too, Brendan, like, like one of the things we try to train our residents is what it feels like to be on the front line making the first decision. Because mm-hmm. that to me is what leadership is, is you're oh, taking yeah. the bullets. Uh, what's it been yeah. like for you? Like, yeah, no, I, th- I think one of the biggest ones that I tried to go off on my own was to create a kind of a, uh, a group for people who are young professionals to start meeting. And right. that just I just bombed it. Like I didn't even, I think I got to the point where it stopped working out and I just didn't have a team that I formed around me that worked out well. Yeah. And I just... I screwed up. Yeah, it just failed. I just failed. Yeah. And it just it just stopped. And yeah. I think that that was that was the first 
maybe the first or second time that I had tried to make something and it failed. And I think I just remember feeling really defeated. Yeah. Just really defeated. And I felt the grace I was giving me when I was a resident, for example, was I made a mistake. That was okay. Yeah. And I think I was afraid from past experiences when I made that mistake, I'm going to be like what you're talking about with somebody criticizing you. Yeah. As they pull you out and they say, hey, this is, you messed up, you know, you're this close to whatever being fired or something like that. Yeah. And I, and I think it's the stuff that we're talking about where you're admitting your mistakes is so countercultural yeah. because we, if you're in the professional world, for example, you make a mistake, like your job's on the line. Right. And so it's, it's, I think it's hard for people to accept the idea that we should be making a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And we should be learning from those mistakes because that's the only way that we grow. Yeah, I've got two reactions to that. The first one, what's interesting is, yeah, you did bomb fairly publicly. Yes, the, I did. That, that group. <laughs> and and a few of us worked with you through that and this whole recovering from mistake thing that we do. And then you were the first person to build us a prayer labyrinth, right? Like we were not able to get that done. And that had been on the plans for years. Mm. You pulled that off, even though you'd never done anything. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, <laughs> Landscaping, the political process. Uh, and then you're the first person in years to build us a video team. Well, thanks, and, uh, yeah. yeah. And so uh, that's the point I want to make. It's not just to like, thank you for your work, but I think for our listeners, if it's counterintuitive to reward mistakes, it's the short term, uh, what would you say? You don't gain much in the short term, but long term you get further. Like if, if you can build a safe culture where your team can safely make mistakes and you can help coach them through it, very rarely will good people make the same mistake multiple times. That's I think that's the win in this. Like I don't tend to make the same mistake two or three times. Yeah. But I think the reason I don't is I, I sit in it without shame. I look at the mistake I made. One of the things in the book that I think will feel really cruel to some people, and we did this to you, is we'll often have our team write the mistake out. What mistake did you make? Yep. What was the impact on people? Yep. How much did it cost? Yeah. So I'll just tell you now, like I have made mistakes at the church that have cost us a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Like that's that's a that's big, a lot of money. That's a big mistake. Yeah. All I know is, uh, I'm also my leadership also allowed us to build. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that someone else wouldn't have. It's not only me. It's just that it's the shadow side of the same gift, right? I'm not yeah, trying to yeah. say that I alone got us into a building. I know that's not true. I just know that that entrepreneurial tenacity that I have mm-hmm. has the shadow side of this wake. Yeah. You do too. Yeah. Most leaders I like uh, and really respect, um, they, they, they manage their mistakes. That's you know? good. So I, w- I want to do a quick little recap um, uh, about what we just talked about. Is uh, So the first part of recognizing a mistake, uh, the first part of controlling the anxiety and a mistake is to recognize that you made a mistake. Yeah, is to find out what is causing that anxiety in yourself. Like if you start making excuses, if you start blaming other people, that's a pretty big sign that you made a mistake, and it's causing you a source of internal anxiety. Right on. Yeah, if you can name exactly why, that's yep. good. Yeah. So the first part, the biggest step is naming it. Yeah, I think so. And then going towards the people that was that were impacted by it and publicly saying, "I made a mistake. Yep, I am sorry." Yep. And then what's the third step? Is there a third step? Yeah, so like internally, depending on the nature of the mistake, like we, we don't run all of these processes. It's yeah. not like a policy. Yeah. Yeah. But um, sometimes um, 
sometimes you do have your team member write it out in a one-on-one closed okay. door, yeah. not in a public setting, and let them just see it. Uh, and then, it's, and again, it's not rubbing their nose in it. It's actually a gift of grace because mm-hmm. then you can say, like literally to me as, as a pastor, there is a gospel element to this. Mm-hmm. Like I'm forgiven. Yeah. Uh, and I really am forgiven. I don't have to be a perfect leader. Yeah. God does not need me to get everything right. In mm-hmm. fact, if I try to get everything right, I'm probably not going to lead us as far as, as we can. So mm-hmm. that's the writing it out. Uh, and so that's for both you and if you're going to help one of your team members mm-hmm. walk through this. Yeah. Then you want them to close the door, write it out on a, on a sheet of paper. I do, okay. yeah. And, and you have to be gentle. But I, I think if you're going to try this with one of your team members, the way you could serve your team member, if you're the boss and they're under you organizationally, uh, share one of your mistakes with them. Yep. Like write yours out. Yep, go first. Because mm-hmm. it is, it's... No one likes to. No, because I think some people, if when they have to write it out, and I'm sure that the pe- whoever's going to try this is going to experience this, is the person's going to have anxiety from having to share their mistake in the oh first my, place because yeah. they're probably thinking, I'm going to get fired. Yeah. But if you're trying to create that culture, like what we just talked about, of you, it's okay to make mistakes, yeah. and you as the leader should be the chief of mistake maker. Yeah. Then yeah. it'll be okay. Uh, yeah. In fact, that's that's right. I am at our church on our staff. I am the mistake maker in chief. Yeah. That's like Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. I think one of the one of the gifts I offer to my staff is I'm the chief of mistake makers. Mm-hmm. And almost all of our staff know mo- most of the mistakes I've made. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully that frees them up. So yes, when we do have them write it out in a one-on-one, they're not coming into that meeting believing anything other than it's a time of grace. That's good. They're, they're not thinking something's on the line. Um, now, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of mistakes that do end up like in a termination or something because you know we've we've had to face those as well those are more the recurring mistakes that cause like for us in in our context relational integrity and relational damage yes. is a higher mistake than uh declaring a building that was going to be built yeah or I'm trying to think of another recent m- mistake I've made oh you know we have the equine therapy arena right now mm-hmm. and it's not working yeah and it's very public because everyone drives by it every day and there's no horses in it. Mm. And that was my primarily my leadership. Uh, I had some amazing people around me helping me with that, and I feel obligated to them to make it work. Uh, but that's another mistake. But if, if you're talking about mistakes, like, for example, if a staff member continually blows up at other staff members, mm-hmm. they'll be allowed to do that three or four times. Mm-hmm. But each time we meet with them, we are escalating the gravity of it. Yeah. Because the damage, like, tr- because it's a trust based yeah. mistake. So maybe. But, so within reason, you're saying mistakes are made within reason. It's probably so. helpful to declare. Yeah. You know, okay. That's a good thing to clarify because I, I think it'd be bad if somebody just took it and said, yeah, make all the mistakes hey, yeah, you want. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. fine. Keep no, doing you, it. you know, every organization is different. I, I don't think either of us have any interest in telling someone what their organization's value should be. Oh, yeah. But you probably can figure out. If somebody is violating our values mm-hmm. at a significant level, we're not going to be. We'll we'll let them make that mistake. Uh, most of our staff, we tell them when they come on, it's going to take about eighteen months for you to get the hang of our DNA and who we are and how we do things. And there's a lot of grace in that eighteen yeah. months. Um, but I'll also say, since I, I guess I opened what's either a can of worms or maybe a darker door is somebody who's doing, for example, significant relational damage, mm-hmm. by the time we're saying to them it's time to go, 
if they're surprised, it's because they're not listening to candid, frequent, clear feedback. Mm. You know, like so we. It's not really the purview of this episode, but we have a whole process yeah. of how to help somebody understand the gravity of what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to read this last little section out of the end of this uh, mistake chapter. As you say, no one gets it right every time, but we can continue to step out. We can continue to step out into vulnerability after making public mistakes if we're aware of our anxiety. So Steve, another, I think another uh, part of the sources of internal anxiety that kind of ties into the mistake making and recovering from it is something that you've de- um, that you've coined blind spot knowledge. Yes, and I hate blind spot knowledge. Why do you hate blind spot knowledge? Yeah, blind spot knowledge is something that someone else knows about you, or everybody else knows about you, mm-hmm. that you don't know about yourself because it's your blind spot. Uh-huh. And the second they show it to you, you know it's true. Mm-hmm. That's blind spot knowledge. Okay. Um, so. Yeah, real world. Just okay. You've got a, a stain on your back sh- back of your shirt. Yeah, and no, and everybody else knows it's there, but you don't. Yeah, and somebody has pointed out to you, and you look at it, and you see it, and you're like, oh wow, there really is a stain back there. You've got something in your teeth. Okay, your flies undone. Okay, or where it, I mean, those things are fun or mortifying, but where it gets painful is it's a character trait, it's a personality mm-hmm. trait. I, I think I think the most painful form of blind spot knowledge is when it has a negative impact on people you love. Mm. That hurts. Because you, you love them, you don't want to hurt them, mm. and you don't know you're hurting them. And of course, it's a blind spot, otherwise you would know. But to me, the, the, the anxiety and blind spot knowledge is that moment when someone offers you what I think is actually a gift of, hey man, or hey lady, here's how you come across. Mm-hmm. And the second they say it, like the moment they say it, you're like, that is exactly right. Yeah. But I didn't know. Either I didn't know or I wasn't thinking about it. But for some reason, it was not in the front of my consciousness. Uh-huh. But now I know and I feel completely exposed because yep. everybody knows. Yep. Are people having lunch meetings about this? Are they like yeah, you just feel like no. an idiot? Yeah. And, you know, we were talking earlier about dominant personalities. We're the worst. Yep, absolutely. We had the biggest blind spot. And... Be, particularly those of us who want to look smart or be the smartest person in the room that you mentioned, when when it's given to you, you have a decision to make in the moment. Am I going to receive this as a gift, yep. or am I going to try to demonize the person who told mm-hmm. it to me? Yep. And I and I think the person who tells it to you, nine times out of ten, I would say that they probably care pretty deeply about you mm-hmm. if they're willing to bring something to your attention that you were not aware of. It's certainly true for people who do care about you that bring it. It's certainly true that it's very vulnerable of them to do it. Okay. And so they're not going to keep doing it if you punish them for yep. it. Yeah. And nor should they. Yeah. Uh, there are absolutely people. Um, I, I've had people in previous organizations who are troubleshooters. Like mm-hmm. they, they just get paid a lot of money to tell their organization what's wrong. And so they just like to troubleshoot me. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know that they care about me that much as much as I'm just the next thing in their machine. Yeah. But yeah, definitely the people you love on your team and your family. Um, holy smokes. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a father. When your kids show you your blind spot knowledge, that's the ultimate form of humility I, I, I've encountered. Oh, and when, uh, I've encountered so much freedom in repenting to my own children. Wow. It's been 
That's good. Amazing. And and what's amazing about it is is how generous they are to forgive and how uh, intimate it makes you. Oh, yeah, for and, sure. And so then I think in your organization, it's it's similar. Yeah. If someone's coming to you, it's a vulnerable thing to tell you. And and so somehow you have to think and thank them for that. And then you got to figure out, what am I going to do with this? Mm-hmm. I think, so just to share an example um, for my own personal life, when I first encountered this, um, one of my big personality flaws that I didn't find out about until my now wife um, had Kelsey, who was actually sitting down with me and talking with me about something that I did to people, which was my nickname in college was Brindad. And the reason why they gave me that nickname is I, I would be really kind of harsh with people when they would make a mistake and I would tell them what they were doing wrong and how to fix it. And like, Hey, yeah, I I would, I would dad them in a sense. (laughs) And in my mind that came from a place of, I really care about you. I am trying to give you tough love. That way you correct the thing that you're doing that's wrong. And my now wife came along and I had done something to somebody along the same lines and my personal circle. And she said, you know, I, I, I don't think that you know this, but what you deem and you think that you're actually helping people, you're actually hurting them because you're coming off so hard and so harsh that it's causing more strife. And you need to just listen to people and not tell them what they're doing wrong. Yeah. And that was my first blindside moment where I actually recognized it. And I was able to, I sat there and I, and I could have said, we weren't dating yet. And I could have said, well, who are you to tell me? Yeah. That what I'm doing is wrong. You could have brindaded her. I could have brindaded her. Yeah. But that was the first the time first time after I had sat down and thought, okay, she's right. Yeah. And I said to her, you know what? You are you're right. Yeah. And look, I ended up marrying her after that. So. That's right. <laughs> All right. So let's let's go back to the moment she yeah. says it to you. Are you mm-hmm. able to now identify the first two or three thoughts in your head or feelings you had? Oh, deer in the headlights. Okay. Total deer in the headlights. Shock. Were you just, angry? The shock. No, I w- and that I was in a vulnerable state, so I wasn't angry. Okay. I think I was ready to receive. I was in a place where I was ready to receive criticism yeah. in a sense. Um, I think if I would have come to that situation where I was upset about something that somebody said to me prior to, or they got upset with me brindadding them in a sense, then I would have responded differently. But I, I think... I had allowed myself to be in a vulnerable state, if that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're an organizational leader or heck, if you're a parent or yeah. a spouse mm-hmm. and you have some courage and you're feeling good, you can sit down with people and say, I'd like you to tell me my blind spots mm. and please don't tell me all of them. And, and I think it's important to point out, it's not about becoming perfect. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's about moving from unawareness through self-awareness to understanding impact awareness. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of books being written nowadays on self-awareness, and I, I think it's overrated. I think self-awareness is overrated. Every one of us knows somebody who's a jerk. Yep. They know they're a jerk. They don't care. And the way you know it is they say something like, well, that's just the way it is. Or they'll often say, yeah. I just tell it the way it is. And I think to myself, you're not telling it the way it is. You're telling it the way you think it is. And you're skewed. Yeah, you know, it's like this obnoxious side. Uh-huh. So I think, I think asking someone about what's my blind spot is very vulnerable. I think it's helpful for a leader to know it's vulnerable for the person you're asking it from, particularly if organizationally they're under you. If they're your kids, yep. if they're if you're the CEO or the lead pastor or whatever, um, 
but and I, I, do, I think it's important to not make a holistic list because you'll die. Yep. Um, and it's important to not then think you're eliminating that tendency. What you've eliminated isn't that tendency. You've eliminated that you're blind to it. Mm-hmm. So you will still tend to be oh, Brendad. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It still happens. Yeah. But y- you're kind of spoiled now. Like mm-hmm. you know it about yourself mm-hmm. and now you can manage it. And that's what this whole book is about. It's, going, it's, it's simply the journey from being managed by these things to managing them. Yep. It's, it's not the journey of elimination. Yeah. You're never going to get rid of it. Nope. Nope. And so when people give me my blind spots, like some of the things we talked about before about mistake making, mm-hmm. my tendency to be a bulldozer, to mm-hmm. act certain, I'm no longer blind to them. I'm now responsible to manage the impact of them. Mm-hmm. I also think it's really important to point out to our listeners, my blind spots or, or these now things I know will still negatively impact people. Yep. Hopefully, though, less damage. Yep. And that's where this ties into the mistake one. Yeah. Where you're still going to... Like if somebody tells you a blind spot yep. and you still do it every once in a while. Yeah, it's not blind anymore. No, it's not blind. You know it. And yeah. now that you know it, you know that you made a mistake. You yep. should go back and you should say, I'm sorry. Yeah. And admit that you were wrong. Yeah, I, I am much quicker to repair with people than I used to be. Mm-hmm. I can see, I just yesterday, I was leading a group discussion. I tend to enjoy in a group trying to be witty. And there's a line between wit and pushing people around. And yesterday in this group, I pushed someone around in front of people. And it was in the spirit of being witty. I was trying to be playful, but this person did not receive it playfully. I I failed. And I had to go to this person right afterwards. In front of the people, this person was sitting next to him and say, hey, I'm really sorry. I know what I did. And I could tell the as soon as I did it, I could tell it was a mistake. Mm -hmm. And I just want you to know I'm I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. So I know that I do that. And I'm trying to mitigate it, but I'm not trying to eliminate it. Because if I eliminate it, there's all these gifting side that I'm losing. And, and listen, um, if some of our listeners who aren't these kind of bold personalities, like in, in some ways, Brendan, we kind of sound like jerks. Oh, yeah. Because we're kind of inflicting our shadow side on people. That's that, Yeah, I but, can be a big a-hole. Yep. But that is leadership. Mm-hmm. And for those listening saying, oh, well, I'd never do that, I, I just challenge you. Leadership is putting yourself out there. Yep. It is putting your whole self, not just your gifts, but your shadow side. And it's understanding that the things that do damage are often the shadow side of the, the things that God has given you that are good. Yep. And I think that's why leadership's hard, is I have to know that as long as I'm at this church, I'm going to do good things and I'm going to do damage. Yep. And hopefully me and the people I love and the people who love me can help mitigate my damage. And if I've created a safe, healthy culture on my team, my so-called subordinates are free to come and tell me. And mm-hmm. they do. I've got, uh, I used to have several people work directly for me. Now I only have one person at the church that works directly for me. But that one person and several people who used to be my direct reports, people like you who used to be a college student resident, mm-hmm have open invitation to speak into my life. Mm-hmm. And I, hopefully you've experienced it too, yeah, yeah. Where, where I'll say, thank you. Yep. Um, and, and it's painful when someone's showing you again and again the impact. Um, yeah, it can hurt. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, and I think too the, um, the biggest part of all of this is recognizing, like you said, that you're not going to get it right 100% of the time. And your personality 
and whoever you are, wherever you're leading, whatever group that you're involved with, is that the gifts that you have are always going to have a dark side to them. And no matter how hard you try, somebody is always going to get impactedly hurt or just like just hurt by what you've done or what yeah. you've said. Yeah. And it's just a fact of life. Yep. And these tools that we've talked about are ways for you to, to kind of mediate that and say and help start the healing process for somebody else because of what you've done as a person. I think so. And and just as we're chatting, something came to mind that I think we should make sure we, we get on the blind spot knowledge. Um, every leader is going to have someone in your life or, or people in your life that keep trying to punish you for the same sin. Mm. And I do think that's different uh, in, in the sense of, uh, I don't think you have to keep thanking those people. Mm-hmm. I've had situations in in my life where I've made a public mistake and there's a group of people, it feels like I keep going on trial, right? Like mm-hmm. I've already paid. We, we put me on trial. We found me guilty. I am guilty. I've now paid the price. And then like a month or three months or a year later, I'm back on trial again. Like, hey, wait a minute. Didn't we adjudicate this sin? Yeah. And um, if you're a leader... I think it's completely fine to show those people, hey, there's double jeopardy, right? Like I can't be sentenced more than once for the same crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it's a certain kind of personality that every leader particularly, I know, because of course I know church leadership. I'm the most familiar with church leadership. Every church has sideline critics. Yeah. And they get a kick out of showing you what you did wrong. And you have to listen to them. You have to stay connected to them. But you don't have to keep, getting on the defendant stand and the judge doing the gavel. So I've, I'll, I'll just say I have sat people down and said, how many more times do you need me to pay for this mistake? Because mm-hmm. by my count, you've tried to get me to pay like five times now. Mm-hmm. And I was gracious for the first three and I've run out of patience. Yeah, uh, I've even, <laughs> this sounds probably even rude, I've sat down with just, a, I'm talking a handful of people in 13 years, is uh-huh. not my habit, maybe three people, where I've said, listen, you, you seem to get a kick out of telling me where I'm wrong. So let me try this on you. If you were leading this church, three people would be here. Mm. Like I'll, I'll just put them on the back foot just wow. to c- try to show them this. I'm not a punching bag, right? Like I'll own my mistakes. But particularly for those of us who maybe are comfortable with vulnerability um, or maybe you're, very, uh, you're not confident in yourself, and you're starting to try this process, you will attract, to, to exaggerate it, predators. And it's okay to name that for them, to say, okay, 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 yeah, we, we tried me, I'm wrong, I repented. Uh, God threw that from the east to the west. Yeah. You're still putting it in my face. Yeah. So I just thought that so was... So that's what you're saying then is, there are, there are a handful of people, no matter where you're at, yep. that... Yes, you're able to have people speak to your life and tell you that you made mistakes on things, but if they keep crucifying you in a sense, that's it. If yeah. they if they keep uh, constantly giving you a hard time, if they make it a note to stand on the soapbox and say, "Hey, you're wrong. You did this again." Remember when you did this? Yeah. yeah. Then that's when you can say to those people, sit them down and say, "Hey, this is not okay mm-hmm. anymore." Yeah, I you think actually stop. that might be their blind spot that you can show them, and yeah. they may not be open to it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to, I think it was important to point out that this style of leadership does attract what I feel like is a very small percentage mm-hmm. of predators. They, they gain power by cutting you down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, just a word to help for those people. And yeah, you, it's, it's a brave act, but you could just say to them, either show them their blind spot, or I think the, 
the, the most powerful thing I found is just to say, how many times should we sentence me to this? And then they realize, <laughs> okay, it's time to. And oh, the good news for those people, I make so many mistakes. There's always fresh meat for them. So. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, Steve, thanks so much for taking the time to sit down and talk through the two little small chapters and the internal anxiety. And we look forward to next time exploring more of those areas. If you found the podcast beneficial, you can help us out by subscribing to make sure every episode is delivered straight to you. You can also take 30 seconds and leave us an honest review on iTunes. This episode has been a production of Brendan Reed and Steve Cuss.